I made some weird little uh, Play-Doh things. They've gone a bit wrong, guys. <laughs> Look at this. Exactly, what is it? And this. Oh, he's lost his head. <laughs> anyway, it's really good because it proves my point in a minute. So I wanted them to stand up and you could see them and it would be fantastic. And you'd be like, wow, she's an amazing craftsman. She has the spirit of the Lord upon her, like Bezalel in the Old Testament. But no, I made this. No, don't hold them. It's too embarrassing. I'll go through the slides and we'll all be better for not having our focus on it. Mike was like, are you going to put them up? They look a mess. I was like, they are an absolute shambles. So anyway, if you've had a bad Play-Doh day, welcome to Trinity. <laughs> We're talking about the fear of the Lord. <laughs> That's just like a bit far off. Anyway, I found this Instagram account. Sometimes I don't know about you, but I end up in an Instagram hole, a rabbit warren of activity in other people's lives. And I came across this quite fun account called Things I Have Drawn. Has anyone seen this? Yeah, this is a gut. Thanks, Georgie. This is actually, I knew you would have seen this one. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I'll send it to you all. This is a guy, he's a parent, and it started off, he just started to like caption in kind of as much reality as he could the things that children, the way that children saw different animals and people. So have a look at these. Here's a giraffe. Not sure what that one is. <laughs> panda. There's a panda there drawn very weirdly. A little wannabe elephant coming next. <laughs> and not to forget when the, the lovely moment happens when children draw you. <laughs> We've got a few of those in our house. Just upset about my nostrils situation that was drawn by a child once. Still getting prayer ministry for that one. Anyway, <laughs> I wonder, let's claw it back really quickly from the awkward Play-Doh. Oh, I knocked his head off again. <laughs> Just so easily knocked. I wonder what we allow to shape us. Whether the views and the way that other people depict us or want to depict us actually start to make us lose our heads completely, <laughs> to pull us to pieces, pull our arms in certain directions so that they almost come off of us and join on to them. Maybe our brains get so blended with someone else's opinions, we've ended up with like almost a split mind, a divided mind, a divided life. I wonder who we allow to slightly overstep our boundaries, our ways of choosing. And in a more serious way, I wonder how that undermines what God has designed for our lives. We're going to talk today about having a fear of God instead of a fear of man. Gulp. <laughs> I can sometimes be a culprit of this. I worry about my clothes. Obviously, I had a flap this morning. I worry about how other people react to how I've prepared things. I wonder whether my metaphors will land. I wonder whether my decisions, almost on a day-to-day -day basis, are the ones that God wants. And then I think, oh, what about them? How will they react? And it gets in a real muddle, doesn't it? And so we can very easily end up pulled out of shape. I've even prayed for people from our church family who've um, been so affected by people and the influence of people. They changed their jobs. 
they change where they go shopping, they change their churches because of a fear of man. They change almost how they phrase things. I remember speaking at a church conference a couple of years ago, and it, they were quite a different culture to what I'm like, and I had to really decide to keep my shape, not change my style, not change my ways, to bend around how I felt would land better with those type of people. It's a very easy, slippy slope to fall into. And we can't afford, as the children of the Most High God, to lose our heads, <laughs> to bend our arms out of shape, to get too attached to other people, to carry other people around with us. Imagine if I literally carried around all you lot, <laughs> literally, physically. You're quite heavy. <laughs> I'd never be able to hold the things that God wants me to hold. And there's real mercy for us when we think about um, the shape that we are, the way that we're formed, like clay in the potter's hands. Jeremiah said, didn't he? He had this vision of seeing a potter with some clay, and he said, oh, it just went all out of shape in his hands. But then he said, I watched the potter put the clay back on the wheel, reform it again into another pot, and then... It's like the Lord just kind of looks at Jeremiah and says, can I not do with that pot? Can I not do with you like I did with that pot? He can reshape us and put us back to our right shape and our right size. So I wonder who it is that you see as really massive, like a Goliath in your life that just you think, oh my goodness, they're huge and they make God feel small. They've got into idolatrous proportions in your brain. They take up your time. They control you. You analyze what they'll be thinking, their opinions, their expectations. And our social media society makes this really hard to navigate as Christians, doesn't it? Because everyone's opinions are coming all the time. Everyone's got something to say and we could lose our heads over it. But we mustn't. We mustn't. We must try with all of our might, I guess, to see God in his full scale and people in their right proportion. We must try as much as we can to see God not as someone passive and weak, but powerful and mighty and spine-tingling, trembling-forming, powerful, mighty saviour of the world. And when we get that in the right order, it starts to fall back into its right shape. Our heads come back to us. Our calling comes back to us. Our unique shape and design comes back to us. The purposes of God come back to us because they weren't connected to other people anyway. I remember talking to Mike the other day and we were talking about our fear of God experiences and I can remember being in this church and having a proper moment where I was trembling in awe of the presence of God. I watched five of my friends just go down on the ground with such clout that one of them brought all the stack of chairs down as they went and they were pray we were praying for the power of the Most High God to come upon us and we didn't look back. <laughs> It affected how we made our decisions because we knew that God, the finger of God, could just touch us and we could be moved. I was doing some prayer ministry training the other day. I don't know if the lady's here, but I hope she won't mind me saying I won't name her. But we prayed for a move of the spirit in her life and she shot forward. <laughs> and she said, I want to be moved by the spirit of God. <laughs> 
And we, we don't have many of those physical, tangible experiences. And all we have is the physicality of one another. So a fear of people can get really real. And a loss of the awe and the power of God can happen. But we need to remember that God is powerful. Mike was telling me about an experience he had at a church once where he said someone, the room just went eerily quiet and someone brought a tongue, a heavenly sound. And he said, you could tell it was not of this world. The atmosphere was like that, poised. And he said, this is exactly what he said. I didn't want to leave, but I couldn't look. That's the power of God. That's a fear of God, a healthy fear. A moment where you know, wow, the most high God is the king of this kingdom. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I don't know if anyone's seen the Beckham documentary where... Basically, he, um, it just shows this documentation where crowds were just shouting vile stuff at him. <laughs> And he had to keep on playing his game. He didn't want to listen to their noise, their shouts. He had something to do. And you guys, we are the children of the Most High God, and we have something to do. We cannot afford in our lives to listen to the voices of the crowds. So I want to track us through scripture with one particular character who I think played his game well, who I think kept his shape well, who I think didn't allow the voices to pull him off his task, who I think finished his job well. And that man is a man called Nehemiah. Have you heard of him? He wept because he saw the state of the city his people used to be in. He saw broken down walls. He saw places in wreck and ruin. They were kind of exiled at that time. There was two thirds of the Jewish people had been taken back and he was going to come with the last group to start to rebuild. And the thing he wanted to start on were the walls of Jerusalem. And these walls, they were representative really of the edges, the boundaries, the territory and the protection of the people of God in that era. And so for him, it felt really significant to put them back up. And I wonder today whether God wants to say to us, put your edges back up, allow your shape and the purposes of God back up. Push out the voices and the noise and the clamoring of the crowds. So. He has this sense where he, at this time, was working as a cupbearer to a king out in Persia. And um, he goes to this king, and he was like, permission to go back and rebuild? And the king's like, I give you the nod. And so back he goes into Jerusalem. And in Nehemiah chapter 2, it says, let's start rebuilding. And I think this is a prophetic message for us. As the church, as the children of the Most High God, it's time to start rebuilding. Lots of things have been dismantled, lots of things have gone, and now we need to start building again. I wonder what God is asking you to build. He might be starting to ask you to build community. He might be asking you to build hope. He might be starting to ask you to start a business and build that. Who knows? The Lord knows. And then they said... They began this good work. 
So they had a task to do, and off they go. But listen to this, classic. Then, Samballot, the Horror Knight. Oh, my days, what a name. <laughs> Tobiah, the Ammonite. Remember him. He was an official. Geshem, the Arab. They heard about it. They mocked and they ridiculed. Because when God starts to tell you to build, there will be voices that you could choose whether to listen to or not. Then we fast forward. They start their building. It starts to get to a point where they're just nearly at the top. They've got to get the doors on, the gates on of the walls. Anyway, listen to this. This is chapter five. Nehemiah now is no longer a cupbearer, but now he's a governor. So he's already had a promotion. When you start to build, people, people sometimes notice and give you favour. Not always, but sometimes. Anyway, he notices how the former governors acted. And he didn't like it, but listen to his motivation for trying to do things differently. So he's kind of, you know, getting ready with the building. He says, the former governors who were before me, they laid heavy burdens on the people. They took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver, way too much by the way, for them. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But this is Nehemiah's character. This is one of the types of people God builds with. It says, I did not do so. He wanted to lead in a different spirit because of the fear of the Lord. So not only was he building some stuff, he was building himself good character because he had a fear of God and he treated people well. It's important to notice when we fear God over man, we actually see God in others. We see the dignity in others. We respect their edges. <laughs> We're not cruel. So then, Nehemiah 6. This is Nehemiah. Imagine the scene. He's up his wall. He's going, come on, guys. He's got a massive team organized to do this. He did not do it on its own. These are the words of Shabalat. <laughs> Just loving these words. Shabalat. Sounds like tongues, doesn't it? If you say it really fast. Shabalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And they said to Nehemiah, come, let's meet together at Hakarafam. <laughs> In the plane of, oh, no. <laughs> I mean, surely that was a warning. The plane of, oh, no. <laughs> Did nothing come? <laughs> what a terrible suggestion. But then it says, a good job he's got discernment. Again, an important gift from the Holy Spirit. But they intended to do me harm. So he sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? So there were voices with opinions, but he knew he had a task to do and he was not for moving. And that is the kind of spirit I'm talking about. We are doing great works. We cannot listen to the sound of your noise, of your clamoring, of your trampling. We will not come down. <laughs> and then it says, they sent, they sent that message to me four times. So they did not give up. They're trying to like grind him down. And then it says about Nehemiah, I answered them in the same manner. Have you got in yourself a resoluteness about the things of God that you're here to do, that you will be unaffected by the opinions and the clamoring and the sound and the pulling and the opinions of others where you could lose your head? Or will you do like Nehemiah, stick to the task? 
Then someone else comes and they say to him, oh, I've heard a rumor that you and the Jews are going to rebel. And then verse 8 says this, no such things as you say have been done. You are inventing them out of your own mind. (laughs) Sometimes people even imagine things, don't they, about our lives? Nosy old Parkers. <laughs> and then they tell you. And it starts to change your shape. And you start to get scared. And you start to think, oh, maybe, oh, maybe it would be better if I just stopped. Another tra- technique. Now this is in chapter 6, verse 10. Shemaiah. And it says he was confined to his home. Now, sometimes people who are not free have opinions on those who are free. (laughs) Because they're like, I'm really trapped. You get trapped too. I'm really oppressed. You get really oppressed too. I'm really scared. I'm feeling like a victim at the mercy of the world. Come and join me in my low pit of mourning and gloom. And he said this, let's meet together and check it out where he says, cheeky thing. He's like, in the house of God. He's really trying hard (laughs) to pull him off task. It's within the temple. We could close the doors of the temple. They're coming to kill you. They're going to kill you by night. Trying to speak fear. Trying to be like, the church will help you lock yourself in and keep yourself safe. No. Listen to Nehemiah's response. This is brilliant. I said, should a man such as I run away? I love it. And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. I will not be trapped. I will not be ensnared by your fears and your opinions. I will not even use the places where the people of God meet as somewhere to excuse myself from doing the things God's asked me to do. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says this. The fear of man is a snare. See? It's trying to lock him in. The illusion of staying safe. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Another translation says, whoever trusts in the Lord is set securely on high. I wonder whether people's opinions have ensnared you, have pulled you, trapped your feet, stopped your movement, pulled your arms over here, moved your direction over there. Maybe you've even lost your head over it. (laughs) But Nehemiah was not for moving. Chapter 6 says, The wall was finished in 52 days. He was so charged by the task of God. He did it supernaturally fast. (laughs) They'd been taking years to get this thing done. And he did it in 52 days. And sometimes when we are at the task that the Holy Spirit has tasked us with, even when people call to us, pull at us, yank at us, give their opinions, spin their narratives, we can do things quicker than what others could have done. 
And listen to this, the result it had. When all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us, they were afraid and they fell greatly in their own esteem. They perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. But old Tobiah, who'd already started his clamoring at the wall moment before, one of those three with the funny names, it says this, he started to send letters to make me afraid. So even though it was pretty much done, he was still going. How annoying. Like, when will these voices stop? And this is what happened. So Nehemiah had a bit of a pause. He'd built the walls. He set them off, and now he was about establishing the temple. And this is what happened. Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. This is within those walls now. So the walls are in place, the boundaries are established, they've set their their stage, really. And then into that is the house of God, the temple of God. But Eliashib, what a name, Eliashib the priest, he had been put in charge, but he was friends closely associated with Tobiah. Remember him? Mr. Stir up trouble, Mr. Opinionated, Mr. Come on down. Anyway, it says in chapter 13 that Nehemiah provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and the incense and the temple articles and also the tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians and the gatekeepers, as well as the contributions to the priests. So what's happened here is he's now given away some of the stuff that was meant for God. He's allowed space for it to be kind of infiltrated by Tobias stuff. And sometimes that's what happens with us. We allow into our brains too much space that other people shouldn't be taking up. We clutter ourselves up with our uh, holding on to the opinions of others. And so what happens is it then starts to change shape again, doesn't it? Because there's now no space for the things that God wanted in his house. There was no space to be generous to people. There was no space to all bring and then share. It was all taken up by Tobiah's stuff. He got in somehow. The walls were in place. The boundaries were established. The task had been done, but he still made his way in. And sometimes this happens, doesn't it? We allow things in, just a little small bit in the corner of someone's opinion. We just hear their voice when we're making a decision. And then gradually, 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 all the stuff that God needs, the resources of God that he wants in our lives are squashed out. And we haven't even really realized So Nehemiah, in chapter 13, verse 7, it says he came back to Jerusalem. He learned about the evil thing. He calls it evil to allow this stuff in. He heard about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. He was greatly displeased, and so he threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Sometimes when people have got their voices in our heads 
when fears have come under our skin, when we're more moved by what people say than what God says, we have to cast it out. We have to drive it out. We have to throw it out. We have to hurl that off us and separate our souls from those people. Our souls are our minds, our wills, our emotions. And sometimes they get entangled. So we're carrying someone we don't need to carry. We're holding something we don't need to hold because God never gave it to us in the first place. So Nehemiah gave orders, this is verse 9, to purify the rooms and put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the offerings and with the incense. And I think this is a prophetic picture for us, not to just build and do what's purposed for us to do in life and get on with the task, despite the shouts and the opinions from others. But also, if we've allowed into ourselves, like a creeping, the voice of a person, or the weight of their emotions, we have to get it out, and clean up our houses, and get back in the things of God, the hope in God, the words of God, more than the words of people the purpose of God, more than the purposes of people, the reactions of God, not the reactions of people, the emotions and the heart of God, not the emotions and reactions of people. And there were three pictures. One of them was this terrible idea of Play-Doh or Plasticine. Another picture was that we can be parrots just saying things that other people want us to say. We've got to stop it. What does God want us to say? What is God's view? What does God's word say on it? Take his first. And another picture was a puppet being moved by how we navigate life. Oh, I'm going to avoid them by going down a different row of the supermarket. That is a fear of man. I'm going to do this, make this decision based on what they feel, not what God says. And so we start to monitor people. And we need to take our own unique voice back that God gave us. We start to manipulate people based on our own feelings about their feelings. It's crazy, isn't it? And here I am. I do it too. And there's a freedom in the, in the body of Christ that God gives us. You know, when the sun sets you free, you're free indeed to walk in the purposes of God, to carry the heart of God, to live out the message of God. But we have to keep playing the game despite the crowd. We have to keep our shape despite the tugs of others. And one of the words in the Old Testament for fear is yera, and it's used about God. And it's a sense of awe. It's a sense of trembling. It's a sense almost of amazing dread. <laughs> about how mighty he is. The kind of same feeling, I don't know if you ever saw, I went down to Brighton the other week to do some speaking and I was watching the storm on the sea and it was that same feeling that Mike had. I have no desire to go for a calm swim in it, but it is amazing. <laughs> that kind of feeling, the voice of God thunders over the waters but you see, we've got comfy with the Lamb of God, and we've forgotten about the Lion of Judah with a terrifying roar. It's not a calm, powerless God that defeated Satan and death. It's not a powerless God who has our hearts. 
and our overreactive, irrational fears of people need to just bow the knee to this mighty saviour that we have. And I'm terrified to make a wrong decision that's not God's decision because I'm going to have to stand before God one day and give an account. Hebrews 12 says this, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let's offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe because our God is a consuming fire. He's not a little candle that we can blow out. (laughs) And so Nehemiah, he stayed at his post. He stuck to his task. He was not for moving when people tried to pull him off. He knew that it's better to take refuge in God than to trust in man. He knew that it was better to take refuge in God than to trust in leaders or princes. They were trying to pull him off his task, out of his purpose, pull him out of shape. Isaiah 8 says this, the Lord of hosts Honour him as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And then he will become a sanctuary. (laughs) When we fear God the most, that's our safest place. (laughs) People will never save us. We're not going to be here. (laughs) You know, 100 years, someone else, this whole church might be gone. (laughs) But the Most High God is still on his throne, and his word stands eternal. And so Nehemiah, he was terrified to, not, to stop doing what God had asked him to do, in a good way. And so God is powerful. God's mighty. He wants us to come back to shape. He wants us to break the idolatry of other people's control. He's staggering, powerful, sometimes quite frightening. And I think how we do this is we relentlessly decide to surrender ourselves and expose ourselves to that sense of fearful wonder. We find testimonies where people are set free and it reminds us God is more powerful than people. We remind ourselves that if these things have got demonically infused, fear can sometimes be a spirit. We cast it out if it's right inside us. And we just relentlessly pursue what he wants for our lives. And then our shape goes back. We allow the hands of our master to reform us, put us back on. Breathe his powerful spirit into us. Do you catch it? The fear of God's so hard to describe, but I feel like Nehemiah illustrates it. He didn't listen to their pulls and their tugs, he wasn't trampled by those around him, and he kept his shape. I suppose that's my prayer for myself. And the times where I've got myself blended and intertwined or wrongly carried people. I don't know if you've ever seen those pictures of um, shepherds carrying their sheep over their shoulders. Imagine trying to carry people all your lives around with you. Of course your shoulders would ache. 
course you might lose your head. (laughs) And I think it's time for us to just say, Lord, you form me, you shape me. I cast out of me these people I've held within me, their voices, their opinions. And I don't want them to draw out what they see of my life. I want you to be the original designer. (laughs) Because he was. So there's no shame in this. (laughs) It's just a really big challenge. (laughs) Because his mercies are new every morning, so we can sort this stuff out. But I do think some of us need to get some people out of our heads, (laughs) chop some threads off where we've been puppeted by a fear of them. Some of us have been trying to prove things all our lives for someone who we don't even see anymore. (laughs) It's crazy what we allow to drive us. And the Spirit of God wants to drive us instead.